Last Sunday, we started a, uh, a quick journey through the Gospels as Jesus began to publicly reveal himself as the Messiah in the days leading up to Palm Sunday. If you were here, you know we went through his journey through Jericho, where he met Zacchaeus and blind Bartimaeus. We went through Bethany, where he received worship and praise from Mary, had to openly rebuke Judas. And then crowds gathered outside of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house because, well, this man who claimed to be the Messiah and was beginning to reveal this was there with this man he raised from the dead. And so a crowd had gathered. Last week we read through Mark chapter 11 as Jesus entered the, the city of Jerusalem on a young, unbroken colt. And he was fulfilling prophetic uh, he was fulfilling the prophecies of old by uh, Zechariah, by riding on a colt. He was, he was coming to praises of messianic psalms like Psalm 118. And, and people were connecting Jesus to the kingdom of David, showing this was the Jewish Messiah. Which is why they cried out the word Hosanna. Hosanna means Lord save us now. But we also saw last week in Luke chapter number 24 that exactly what the people wanted to be saved from. Lord, save us. But what they were asking to be saved from was a little bit different than what Jesus had come to save them from. They were looking for the Messiah to overthrow the oppressive Roman armies and reestablish the kingdom of Israel. But God, but Jesus had come and he had come to not establish the kingdom of Israel, but the kingdom of God. And not to defeat the Romans, but to defeat the enemy of sin. And when the people began to realize by Friday that this one that they had shouted to on Sunday as the Messiah, when they saw him falling at the hands of Rome, they said, mm, this isn't our Messiah. Our Messiah would not bow to Herod. He would rule over Herod. He would not fall to the Roman armies. He would defeat the Roman armies. And so the shouts of Sunday turned to silence on Friday. And we realized that the praise of Palm Sunday was not about the fulfillment of God's plan. It was about the fulfillment of the people's desires. They were shouting Hosanna because they thought they would finally get what they wanted. I got home on Sunday last week and my wife sat at the table and we, we, re we really don't talk about uh, the sermon a whole lot much on, on when, I, when I get home. But she, she said to me, she said, you know, I was sitting there while you were talking about the people praising Jesus because they thought they were going to get. And she said, it made me think, why do I praise Jesus? Is it only about the fact that my sins have been forgiven? That I have an eternal home in heaven? Am I any different than the crowds that lined the streets on Palm Sunday who were cheering for Jesus because what they were going to get? Have I made salvation all about me? Or do, do I praise Jesus not for what he has given me, but for who he truly is? The promised Messiah, the Son of God, and the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation to the entire world. And when she said that, I smiled because, like, that's that's exactly it. If we make Jesus our personal Savior alone, if that's all He is, my personal Savior, 
That means I can get what I want from him, walk away, never to come back, and somehow believe I have a home in heaven for all of eternity because he was my personal savior. But, but see, that makes the, the incarnation when he became flesh and the, the crucifixion where the flesh was torn and then the resurrection where the flesh came back to the sea. See, makes the incarnation crucifixion and resurrection about me but it's not about me the incarnation of jesus the crucifixion of jesus and the resurrection of jesus is all about how it culminates in his coronation as king what jesus has done is about jesus it's not about me what jesus has done is about the glory of god and that's what we're going to focus on today. How the Passion Week, it's not about me. It's about the glory of God. Because somehow through the centuries, I believe the church has managed to reduce the kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring to earth. We have managed to reduce the kingdom of God down to a simple prayer that if I pray this, I won't go to hell Go to heaven. That's not the kingdom of God. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the blessing of eternal life certainly comes to those who do recognize Jesus as their Lord and, and Savior. But, but we can't make what we're going to talk about today and celebrate this week. We can't make it about us or we will be doing the same thing the crowds that line the streets of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday have done. No, we have to make everything about the glory of God. And so as we celebrate Palm Sunday, right? Palm Sunday is in, in the Jewish calendar. We celebrate it today as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, but so much takes place after Jesus rides into Jerusalem that you would find throughout the Gospels. I've just written a few of them down, and, and you'll see how they, they appear in most of the three synoptic gospels. This is Jesus cursed a fig tree. He was challenged by the Pharisees. He told some parables. He confronted the religious leaders. He prophesied the destruction of the temple and all of the end times. And then something you probably are familiar with, Jesus cleansed the temple. In case you're sitting here like, I don't know, did he take a broom and sweep out the temple? No, no, Jesus had walked into the temple and, and the religious leaders had somehow turned the temple into a marketplace for their own greed. And, and here's, here's how. Everyone had to come to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices and those who traveled great distances would bring the money from where they lived, but they could only use the money in the temple if it was temple currency. And so they, they had to switch money and priests had set it up where they would create they would they would charge crazy exchange rates and then they had to take that money and buy the sacrifice because everyone had to have a sacrifice but they would charge a premium for those animals and so the the temple had become a place where the the religious leaders would well they would basically fleece the flock the temple of god that was meant to be a house of prayer as jesus would say it was not just a place that was void of prayer it was it had become a den of thieves and so jesus turned the tables on the money changers and he chased them away and you think why would he do that and we'll explain that in just a moment you'll see it we'll connect it but it all has to do with the glory of god 
But one of the strangest events that you find in the Gospels on the last week of Jesus' life is that Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. And in the book of Matthew, it actually occurs kind of in between some of the events that we just discussed behind us. In the book of Luke, it appears right after uh, Jesus comes into, or it, it, it happens concurrently with Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem as he rides the donkey. I don't know which is supposed to be, but, but it really doesn't change what happens. I want to look, though, at why Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter number 19. Luke chapter number 19. We're going to pick it up where the Pharisees are telling Jesus to quiet the crowd on Palm Sunday. Verse number 39 of Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, 39 says, And the, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. For they were, this is where they were saying Hosanna. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So before we keep reading, you got to picture the scene. The streets are crowded with people. Worship was being lifted. Praises were being offered. And then we, in the midst of the praise and worship, we read verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you. Sorry, I'm looking around. And surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. In the NIV, verse 44, the end of it reads, They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus weeps over the coming destruction of Jerusalem. He, he, if, you, if you could imagine, he crests the hill and he sees Jerusalem laid out and he begins to weep over it. And he says, I know the destruction that's coming your way. And the destruction is coming because you don't know What's taking place now? God's coming to you. What in the world does that mean? It's everything to do with the glory of God. Last week, as I told you, we read through Mark chapter number 11 as we read this triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And so would you join me in Mark chapter 11? And we're going to pick up at the end of this triumphant entry, and we're going to add one more verse that we did not read last week. Mark chapter number 11. We're going to read it. We're going to begin reading in verse number 8. Mark chapter 11, verse number 8 says, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields, and, and, those, and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. There's verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany, the twelve. So Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, but, but walking into the city was not his intention, just to walk into the city. 
See, Jerusalem housed his ultimate destination, which we just read was the temple. But it appears that this triumphant entry into Jerusalem ends just a bit anticlimactic. Like he, you're saying he walks into the temple, looks around, looks at his watch, and says, that's kind of late. Let's go back to where we came from. Goes back to Bethany, which is where he started that day. He enters he enters as the Messiah on the donkey, fulfilling pro- prophecy. The, the shouts of messianic psalms are being lifted, and he just walks into the temple and then goes home. What's he doing? Why was he looking at the temple? The short answer is for the glory of God. I don't know, you may say, how, how does... Jesus walking into the temple have anything to do with the glory of God? Well, let me just let me give you just a short, brief recollection of Israelite history. In Exodus chapter number 25, you go all the way back to Exodus, Moses is at the top of Mount Sinai, and he receives the Ten Commandments from God, but he receives more than the Ten Commandments. He receives a whole bunch of instructions about a tabernacle. Because this is what God says in Exodus chapter 25. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell. Don't miss this, that I may dwell in their midst. Moses and the people work very hard, and in Exodus chapter number 40, we read the cloud covered the tent of meeting, that's the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So exciting. They get to the promised land eventually, and we're skipping a whole lot, but they get to the promised land eventually, and David says, I want you to be in more than a tabernacle, God. I want you to have a permanent house. And so he says, I'm going to build you a temple. And God says, no, you won't build me a temple, David. The son of David will build me a temple. Oh, oh, oh. Don't forget that. David is not building the temple. The son of David. Solomon works hard. It's a luxurious seven years. And Solomon offers all kinds of sacrifices when the temple is done. And then he lifts a prayer. And here's what we read in First Chronicle, Second Chronicles 7.1. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So the glory met Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. It filled the tabernacle. Then it came to fill the temple. But if you know Jewish history, if you know your Bible, you know the Jews would turn from God and eventually the ten northern tribes would fall to the land of Assyria. The two southern tribes would later fall to the land of Babylon and Babylon would destroy this temple that was built by Solomon. They would tear Jerusalem to the ground. Again, if you know your Bible, you know that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, there are people sent back to Jerusalem to rebuild Jerusalem. The walls, the city, There is something we never find in this second temple. Never find the glory of God coming back to this temple. Here's why. In the book of Ezekiel, before that temple was torn down by Babylon, before that happens, God gives a prophet a vision. And this is the vision that he gives in Ezekiel chapter number 11. 
He, he shows Ezekiel from chapters 8 through 11 the, the wickedness of the city and of the people. He even shows them how the temple had become a place of idolatry. And then Ezekiel, in tragic and in shocking fashion, watches this. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city, stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city. The glory of the Lord left the temple and the glory went to the mountain on the east side of the city, which we would know of as the Mount of Olives. The glory has departed the temple. The glory has gone to sit on the Mount of Olives. And once that second temple is rebuilt, we never find the glory of God coming back. Oh, we find the Holy of Holies. We find a veil because the veil is split when Jesus is crucified. But we never find the glory of God coming back to the temple. In fact, the only time, in fact, the next time we find the glory of God, after it leaves the city, we find the glory of God coming in the New Testament over the skies of Bethlehem to announce the birth of Jesus Christ. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Why? Why does the glory of the Lord making an appearance here? Well, John tells us, the Gospel of John tells us in chapter number one, he talks about the Word of God, and he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 it says, And the Word, listen, came flesh and dwelt among. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the one the Apostle Paul would say in the face of Jesus Christ, was the very glory of God. Jesus came to dwell among the people. The word dwell literally means to tabernacle. And so the glory of God that was in the tabernacle the glory of God that was in the temple went to sit atop the Mount of Olives that glory makes an appearance on Palm Sunday because do you know where Jesus comes from he rides into Jerusalem they're still open to Mark 11 look at verse 1 now when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethphage Bethany at Mount Olives. Jesus sent two of his Do you see why Jesus said to the Pharisees, the stones would cry out if I silenced the cheers of the crowd? Because the glory of God was coming back to the temple. Oh, oh. The glory that Moses saw, the glory of the tabernacle, the glory of the temple, the glory that departed, it's coming back to the temple. When Jesus got to the temple on that Palm Sunday, he walked inside and he did not see God's glory. Remember, he had to depart. He did not see God's glory. What did he see? He saw corruption, so he cleansed the temple. He saw abuse, so he challenged the religious leaders. And for that, they killed the Lord of glory. The glory of God came. They don't want the glory of God. They killed the Lord of glory. See, these religious leaders, they wanted their glory. 
their temple, their religion, and their way of life. And so when Jesus challenged them, their reaction was to belittle him, to mock him, to beat him, to whip him, to scourge him, and crucify him. They missed it. They missed the day. The glory of God was coming back. Here's what they never realized. Jesus never came to return the glory of God to their temple. He wasn't coming to bring the glory of God back to the temple in Jerusalem that had been devoid of the glory. No, Jesus had come to reveal that he was the temple filled with the glory of God. You say, I don't know what that means. Jesus says this in John chapter two, when, when people are asking him, talking to him, trying to challenge him, he says, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up again. And the Jews said, what are you talking about? It took us 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it up in three days. But he was speaking to them about the temple of his body. And you may say, I don't get it. What do you mean the temple of his body? How could Jesus be the temple? What was the temple? The place where God wanted to dwell among men. The place where heaven met earth. The place where God and man came together. Do you now see why Jesus so boldly can say, I am the temple of God? Because he was God and he was man and he is the glory of God. And that's who was coming to Jerusalem. Absolutely missed it. such good news it's really good news to us it's really good news to us because we do not have to travel to Jerusalem where the glory of God was coming see God had come not to bring the not to bring the glory back to the temple in Jerusalem no he was releasing the glory of God to the entire world to how Because Jesus, who we know of as the root of David, the the son of David is how Jesus is referred to. Not, Not David, but the son of David had come to lay the foundation for a new temple. The temple that would not be confined to one geographic location. You see, what Jesus had come to do was he was freeing people everywhere to worship God anywhere. Before this temple. The Apostle Paul helps us understand this in his letter that he writes to these, to these uh, Christians in the city of Corinth. Corinth, far from Jerusalem, right? Corinth is, is in Greece. It's, it's nowhere near Jerusalem. And here's what Paul writes to a group of believers far from Jerusalem. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Oh, man. Jesus came to build a new temple, one filled with the glory of God. And guess what that temple is? The church. We're the temple. We're the temple. so important to understand is the you in these verses behind me and the you in the verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where he says your body is the temple those yous are not singular 
Paul wasn't writing to the church and saying, oh, you and 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 you, you are the temple. No, he was saying, you guys, y'all, however you want to say it from whatever part of the region you're from, y'all are the temple. Not you. We all are the temple. That's what makes what's taking place right now so absolutely amazing. Right here is where the temple comes together. And it not, has nothing to do with these four walls around us. It is not this location. It is you being with the people beside you and the people across the aisle from you. And from front to back, you're the temple. The glory of God is here because Jesus came to make the glory of God available to all people anywhere they are. Yes! All the time. Don't we? How exciting is Sunday to you, really? No one ever misses the fact that everything Jesus suffered in his final week was to provide us a home, an eternal glory, the very presence of God. You know what we miss? What I miss is that Jesus suffered in his final week to make it possible for believers today to come together as the temple of God filled to the brim. Wouldn't you agree that the glory of God should be as valuable to us today as we make it one day in eternity? Oh, I can't wait to be, you can do it now. Yes, we can. Apostle Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, this is describing Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, you see the plurality, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Oh, this is such good news. Jesus was a living stone, rejected by men. We're living stones. We shouldn't be surprised when we're rejected by men, but chosen and precious to God because we are building a spiritual house, offering spiritual sacrifices as we offer ourselves a sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. We bring our spiritual offerings and say, whatever we have is yours. That's what we do when we gather together. And it doesn't have to be Sunday at 1030. It could be any time believers gather together. The living stones of God are coming together and the glory is filling the place. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to unleash the glory of God. and They missed it. It had nothing to do with the fact that they didn't want a Messiah. They were praying for the Messiah. They were begging for the Messiah. But when the Messiah came, the Messiah didn't bring them their kingdom. The Messiah brought them God's kingdom, which isn't what they were looking for. Leads me to ask this question to us. Let's ask if Jesus came. Not walking on a donkey, riding a donkey, but if Jesus came driving down the streets of 
will still miss it today. Talking about the unsaved. I'm not talking about those who don't believe in him. Jesus wept because the religious leaders that should have known what was happening, they missed it. Are we like the Pharisees who have eyes that could not see, who have ears that could not hear, who had the glory of God dwelling in their midst and they missed it? We miss it for so many reasons. We're sidetracked by less important things. We pursue so many things with a greater passion than pursuing God. We look for God to bow to our desires rather than us bow to his desires. We love finding righteousness in ourselves rather than in God. And that's how we miss the glory of God. But I just want to share two with you briefly as we close. I'll tell you how we miss the glory of God in very practical ways. We miss the glory of God when religion supersedes relationship. The Pharisees had created this list of do's and don'ts. The place they were meeting was supposed to be all about love. What's the greatest commandment? The one that Jesus said you could hang all the law on this one. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love. See, Jesus saw the condition of the temple and he didn't see love. He saw do's, he saw don'ts, but he didn't love and he said you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves because the temple was supposed to be a place of prayer and prayer is all about relationship with God the temple is the place for prayer before you get going and saying well well how come we don't pray more here no no, no you can't miss it this isn't the temple you are that means whenever you're together there should be prayer. Because you are the temple of God. Temple of God. It's meant to be a place of prayer. So when members of this congregation come together, when members of this congregation come with members of other congregations, of other gospel-believing churches, the temple is being built, and where the temple is, a place of prayer. It's not about a specific time, at a specific location. That's religion. No, no, we're talking relationship. Prayer is about our relationship with one another and our relationship with God. And the temple is to be a place of prayer where we take our relationships with one another into our relationship. So, so can I encourage you? When you hear of someone's need, don't walk away and say, I will pray for you. When you hear of someone needs, when you hear of someone's needs, say, let me pray for you right now. Because the temple is to be a place of prayer. You're living stones. I'm not talking about this building, but on Sunday morning, there should be prayer happening in the hallways because the temple is coming together. And the temple is to be a place of prayer. Before the service starts, as you talk with one another and you hear of what's happening in each other's lives, the temple should be a place of prayer. Prayer should happen before church, after church, during the week, in the office, in the class, wherever you are, when the temple comes together. The temple is about relationship. Prayer is all about. So as we close our service today, and we're not going to close quite yet, I have one, one small point and we're going to sing a song, but before we close today, our fellowship time is going to be a time of the temple being a place of prayer. I'm going to ask you, and I know this is going to make you really, really uncomfortable, but just, just bear with me for a moment.
I'm going to ask you not to leave until you pray with someone you don't know real well. Oh, pastor, that's going to make me uncomfortable. Glad you said that because that leads me to point number two. Try that again. Glad you said that because that leads me to point number two. We miss the glory of God when comfort supersedes compassion. Jesus condemned the religious leaders for the fact that they tithed on cucumber and spice. They failed to offer justice and mercy. Oh, he's got a, he's got a whole, Jesus has a whole sermon against them on the final week of his life. He condemned them for the way they treated the widows. He condemned them for the way they treated the weary and the foreigners, who are all people God loves so much. Here's the thing. I said in the last point, religion should never supersede relationship. That does not mean religion is bad. Religion is not bad. You understand God's the one who came up with the idea of how the Jews should live throughout the Old Testament. That was pretty religious, and God was the one who authored it. Religion isn't wrong when it's done right. That's why in James chapter number one, we read this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows and their affliction and to keep oneself unstained. Pure religion. Visiting the needy and living holy. The Pharisees had the living holy part down real well, but they had little compassion for those who were in need. There's people in our world who have great compassion for those in need and have no interest in living holy. God wants his people to be both. Because it all comes down to relationship. See, we're holy because he's holy. We want to please him. We're should remind us of our condition apart from Christ. Poor. See, God really calls on his church to be compassionate on those who have See, orphans in these days had no inheritance, and widows in these days had no income. And God said, love them like I've loved you. That's what I got to see yesterday up at the greenway and there's Mr. Dooley, Dave Dooley with his van and bus full of kids from fatherless homes. Bait on their hook. Takes some fishing. Says, hey, you have a father who loves you very much. He'll provide for you. That father has called me to step in. And some of these men that work with me has called me to step in and be a help to you. Living River Ministry, stepping into the fatherless homes. We have a Stephen ministry in our church where people behind the scenes very quietly care for those who are needy and nobody knows about it. Our van ministry is people drive out on Wednesdays and go pick up kids and who, who would not be here, who would not get a hot dog, who would not have somebody invest in them unless you thank you for doing that. Church. My question to you, may I ask Who's experiencing the love of God? Have you ever asked, how can our family become involved in the life?
lives of fatherless homes? How can our family go visit people in need, widows of our church who might live alone, those who, who may be in desperate need of companionship or friendship? What a blessing you could be to people. You say, I'm too busy for that. Well, I got an easy one for you. What about the people in the church? Have you ever considered we love to stand and sing praises to the God who said, welcome into my family. Let me tear down the barriers. I will make all of you into one family. And we rejoice that the Gentiles are no longer on the outside. We have brought into the, we've been brought in to the family of God. And yet some of us who have enjoyed that experience, we can see someone we don't know and casually, not purposely, but casually ignore them because we don't know them. One of the most tragic things I feel on a Sunday morning as a pastor standing up here is seeing people who I know are sitting alone in church. Some have chosen to sit alone, I understand. Some are sitting alone on purpose. You sit with me. Because we see someone we know I know you say, well, I'd be embarrassed if I told them I didn't know them. Cannot let company. So in just a moment, we're gonna we're just gonna close our service with a song. A song that celebrates where the temple. I, I forget one of the lines, forgive me, Mr. Brown, maybe you could help me out. In my father's standing in doorway of my father's house I'm home. Here's, here's what you got to think. Don't think house that God is in that you're coming back. Think temple. When the temple comes the doorway as the temple God come together. After we sing the song going to ask you not to leave. Say, hey. Change your phone number, exchange your phone number. Let them know you're praying. It's not just slide out today. Temple of God is all of us. So, let me pray. Prayer. Present Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we're going to celebrate in just a moment by this closing song. Home. I'm home when I'm with you. I'm a home with you. When I'm with other believers, no matter where we are, when I'm, when I'm with others, love you, who you love, who know you, who you know. 
we come together. This is the, this is the temple. This is the glory of God that the Jews, how they had to travel such great distances and we could do it anywhere we are. And Lord, I pray that as this temple today becomes a, a purposeful place of prayer, I pray that you feel so wanted, so invited. Lord, may our prayers not be for what we want, but may our prayers be for the kingdom of God and the will of God to be known in our lives, however you choose to do that. You are such a father and such a good, good God. May we go out this week, and as we see other believers, may we listen, be purposeful to listen, and then purposeful to pray. We rejoice with one another in what you're doing. We hurt with one another. Pray with one another. We walk with one another. We bear the burdens of one another as you have called us to do as the temple. May it all be for the glory of God. Seen in this place, in this county, in this community, by those who might feel outside and want be inside and be welcomed with such open arms. Oh Lord, may we truly be a people that rejoice in who you are. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. I just want to tell you while the while we sing this next song, if you'd like someone to pray with you, I'm going to stand down front. I would I would be on I would be honored to pray with you. We have other deacons and other leaders in the church that would love to pray with you. You just, you come, you come make your way this way. We'll meet you and we'll love to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus and if the relationship that we talked about is not a relationship you have with Jesus, oh, come and let us share that with you. It's so good. Let's be the temple as we glorify our God who brought the temple to us to release the glory across the world. Would you stand with me? And let's join in singing the song. I'll be down front if you'd like to pray with anyone.